1 Corinthians 2.14 will be on the screen here. In the ESV, it says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Notice it doesn't say the unsaved person or the unchristian. It says the unspiritual person, the natural person. This could apply to somebody who believes in Jesus, but just scoffs at the things of the Spirit, like miracles and tongues and Holy Spirit baptism and angels and demons and that kind of stuff. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him. He is not able to understand them. New King James says, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And the NLT says, People who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. I don't use those scriptures to say that you have to agree with me in everything that I teach, but you can't be a Christian and be doubtful of the spirit world. Because obviously Jesus came from a different world. He said, my kingdom is not of this world, it is from a different place. There is a different dimension. There is a heaven and a hell. There are angels and demons. There is the Holy Spirit. Miracles are real. We do not want an earthly religious Christianity. We want a Holy Spirit Christianity that lives to bring the power of heaven and the reality of the Spirit into the earth. That is the whole goal of everything we're doing here. So, four Sundays ago, uh, I talked to you just about having your eyes and ears opened, having your spirit turned on like a radio to receive the signal and to be aware of what's going on in the spirit around you, what the Holy Spirit might be leading you to do and say, Jesus said over and over and over again, you have ears, open them up. You have eyes, look. And he wasn't talking about our physical eyes and ears. He was talking about our spiritual senses. And some people can see those things and some people cannot. We all have to live by faith. But faith is not blind. All right? We all have to live by faith, which is being certain of what we cannot see. But not being able to see something doesn't mean we're blind when we're talking about spiritual things. So in Hawaii, I actually got something from the Lord about this. Saturday morning, Lance and I went fishing on a charter boat, and we got totally skunked. Not a single strike. The day before, they got 18 fish. The day before, they got 10, and we got zero. It was super disappointing. I wanted to catch a marlin, you know, 700 pounds or something. But But the only fish we saw was some flying fish. Three times we saw, I don't even know what you call them, a flock of of flying fish. The boat would scare them up and vroom, they'd thunder out of the the water and there'd be 10 or 40. And they're not very big. They're just little things about the size of our trout. And, And they would go flying across the surface of the water for 10 or 15 feet and then they'd go back under. And I got to thinking about fish that, that jump out of the water. So we got dolphins and whales, you know, and, and marlins and tuna, and there's all kinds of fish that feed on the surface that jump up into the air, and, and they live at the surface. And then, how many of you have seen the pictures or the documentaries about the fish that live clear at the bottom? I mean, they don't even have eyes a lot of times, or they have the blinking lights, and they're just, they're ugly, hideous things, and, but there's shrimp that blink, and there's the fish that has the dangly little light out over his proboscis, and they live in the dark. They've never even seen light. The, the revelation I got is that there's, there's some fish that live up at the surface, and they're 
they are interacting. They live in the water, but they're interacting with the air. Hello. Spirit means air, wind, breath. All right, so they live in one environment, but they're constantly interacting with another. And with the dolphins and whales, I don't think it's too far of a stretch at all for us to receive that as a parable, that they, they live in the water, but they have to come up into the atmosphere, the spirit to breathe, to live. And that, that that's us. We are of this world, but we are, we are in this world, but we are of this one. Hello? We're going to die if we remain underwater. It's where we live, but we have to rise above it all and take a big, long, deep breath in worship or prayer or scripture and suck it in, and then we can go back down into daily life. <laughs> Hello? I, I, I don't think that's, uh, that's too far of a, a stretch to receive that as a parable for, for us. Um, you know, the, the other fish, they, they, they live in and breathe in their environment, but we cannot live in this environment. We have to go up into the spirit to, uh, to stay alive. But uh, if these fish were to talk to the fish down on the bottom and describe what it's like at the top and what they've seen, boats and people and the shoreline, the fish at the bottom would have no context no language, no idea, and they would scoff at it. They would scoff at the idea. But it's true. There are some people who live at the top, and they are constantly interacting with the Spirit and living in power and Holy Spirit guidance and miracles, and people who live below that and have not experienced it might have to receive a little bit of that on faith, but, but it's true. And then down here in the bottom left corner, we have a king salmon swimming up a, a river in Oregon. And those salmon, they go out to the sea, and they live their life, and then they travel up the river. And let's think of a salmon coming up the Columbia. And that salmon sees city lights and roads and bridges and cars and dams with fish ladders and... If that salmon could go out and talk to the other fish, he would not even have any language to describe what he sees in a completely different world. Paul says, I've been to the third heaven and I don't even have words to describe what I saw. The fact that you and I have to take that on faith on somebody else's testimony does not mean that they're lying just because we haven't experienced it. You know, no dolphin has been up to the John Day Dam. He's going to have to take the salmon's word for it, <laughs> that it's there, <laughs> all right? So just got this little picture of that um, believing in a spirit world may be difficult for those of you who haven't engaged it, but there are people who have. They've been there and they've seen it, and there might not necessarily be earthly words or a way to describe, and a lot of times when we experience something, we don't even know what happened. In the presence of God, you just... You just learned something or you're reading your Bible and you got a download from God and, and you can't even put it into words, what God did inside your heart. Or there's a miracle and you don't even know why or how God did it. Or countless indescribable ways God moves and acts. And it is by faith, but it isn't blind. We do see in the Spirit. 
We're not denying that there's psychology and chemistry and genetics and all that other stuff. It's just, but there is a spirit world. So then three Sundays ago, we talked about spirit, soul, and body, and we used the tabernacle as God's picture for us. He said that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and he calls our body a tent. So we looked at the tabernacle, which was the tent that was the, the temple. We talked about the three different parts of us and the three different places in the tabernacle and how God set those up and what each one is for. And I talked to you about how to, how to feel that tension between your soul and your body and your spirit and your soul and so on. And if you weren't here during these Sundays, you can go online and, and listen to this if you if you wish. But then two Sundays ago, I talked to you about the fence around the tabernacle, that white curtain. The white curtain that's around the tabernacle was this white fabric linen and how God, how strange it is that God had a curtain wall around the tabernacle instead of a stone wall. In the ancient world, everything was protected by stone walls, but God doesn't want us in inside of stone walls. He wants us inside of this white linen curtain that Revelation tells us is righteousness, that we are protected by the righteousness of God. He is our breastplate of righteousness, our helmet of salvation, our shield of faith that protects us. But when we use self-defense mechanisms to keep people at a distance or to keep God at a distance, it ends up being a prison rather than protection. It ends up being a tomb rather than a tower and we get stuck in sinful habits and in anxiety and fear and shyness or alcohol or anger all these things we use to keep people at a distance end up imprisoning us and two weeks ago a whole bunch of you got free yeah there's a whole bunch of people that we jesus blew his trumpet and the walls came down we talked about these strongholds that we build in our minds and our ways of thinking, lies that we accept about ourselves or God or other people, and they become locked on our brain and we can't escape without Jesus. Putting on the helmet of salvation. So that was all two Sundays ago. So I want to start again today with the walls or the curtain around the tabernacle. So two weeks ago, I told you that that curtain there Revelation says the white linen represents the righteous deeds of the saints. That the righteousness of God is to be our protection. Not in exposed vulnerability, but covered by his righteousness. That his righteousness is our protection. But it's a curtain. It's, what, it's something that's beautiful and soft and pliable and can blow in the wind of the spirit. Not an immovable prison wall that we build around our heart. So all of that is from a couple weeks ago, but this fence around the tabernacle represents God's righteousness around us, that his righteousness is our protection. In the armor of God, his righteousness is the breastplate. It's what covers our heart to protect our heart. In that fence, that white fabric fence, there, there is a gate right up front. It is red and blue. God prescribed the colors and the dimensions of this gate. It is the fences around us for our protection. God doesn't want to leave us naked and vulnerable and ashamed before the world. He's got us covered. He's got us protected. He's got us surrounded by his righteousness and his love and his power. But, but there has to be a way in and out. 
of the tabernacle and of your heart because you have to relate with God and you have to relate with people. So you're not, you're not surrounded by an impenetrable barrier. God has a gate for him and other people to come into your life with. That gate is there in the picture. It's red and blue, and it was also linen fabric, and uh, the red is, represents the blood of Jesus, and the blue is the revelation of Jesus because Jesus said, I am the gate. John 10, 7, 9. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who came in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. This is in the passage where Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. Uh, he's talking about himself as a shepherd and us as his sheep. And he said, I am the gate. And in, uh, in another translation, the New King James, says, he says, I am the door. All right. In Revelation, John says, I looked into heaven and I saw a door standing open. Jesus is the open door into heaven. All are welcome to come through. Jesus is supposed to control who goes in and out of our lives. Who comes in and out of our heart. And how we come in and out of the presence of God. We come through Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? All right, Christianity 101. All right, Jesus is the gate. He is the door. He is the one who directs the traffic. He is the one who says to you inside your heart, your soul, surrounded by the righteousness of God, protected and loved and covered and defended. Jesus says, I am the gate. I am the door. So whoever I let into your life, you let into your life. And whoever I say keep out of your life is who you keep out of your life. Jesus will do both. He will, he will tell you, I want you to have a relationship with this person. Let them in. I'm opening myself to let them in to you. I am the gate. I am the door in and out of your soul. Hello? Some of those people you will like and others you would rather keep out. But Jesus will say, let them in. Right? Other relationships that you have, and I don't mean the ones you're supposed to have, but sinful relationships, Jesus will say, I'm shutting the door. You should not be dating that person. You should not be interacting with this person. uh, And you may want to. But Jesus shuts the door and says, no, that one's not coming in. He's the gate of the tabernacle. He's the gate of the kingdom of heaven. He's the gate in and out even of your own soul. So you are surrounded by the righteousness of God. Those of us who are in Christ, you are surrounded with the righteousness of God, protected and covered and loved and defended. You are totally safe and loved by your Father. His righteousness surrounds you. But there is an opening, and Jesus gets to control that. Who you're going to take care of, who you're going to love, who you're going to forgive, who you're going to serve, who you're going to minister to. Uh, who you're going to adopt into your family, and on and on and on and on. And who you should not be interacting with, who you should not go into that business deal with, or who you should not be dating, and all of those things. Jesus gets to defend that, or decide that. Unfortunately, most of us have walked over somewhere else in the fence and poked a hole in it. I don't want to go out through Jesus. I want to go out over here. Mm Mm-hmm. And you have created a hole in your defenses. You have poked a hole in the righteousness of God with sin. And there is a gap in your defenses. 
what God has set up around you to defend you and protect you and love you and nurture you and care for you, you have gone and pulled that section of the curtain down and said, I'm going to go out this way. I'm not going to go in and out through Jesus. I want to go out this way. And you made a hole. An open door where there's not supposed to be a door. A gate where there's not supposed to be a gate. And Jesus said that's where the thief comes in to steal, kill, and destroy. Actually, that's the next verse after the one I just read. He said the thief comes in over the wall to kill, steal, and destroy. But anybody who comes in through me is your friend and your shepherd. He's primarily talking about himself and pastors. But it would apply to any relationship. So most of us, all of us, all, most is inaccurate. All of us have gone over and we have ripped down a section of the wall and we've gone out where we darn well pleased. But instead of us just going out and doing what we want to do and then we come back in and we're safe, now there's a hole in the wall. There's an open door. There's an open gate. There's a collapsed section in what God built around you, his righteousness, to protect you. Now your sin habits are holes in the wall of righteousness that's supposed to surround you, and there is an open door for demons and sin and destruction to come in. So this morning, we're going to shut some doors. Two weeks ago, I told you you're not supposed to have a wall. You're supposed to have a curtain. Today, we're going to repair the holes in the curtain and make sure that there is only one door in and out of your life, and that is Jesus. Right? That there is only one gate. Any unrepented sin habit is a hole in your defenses. It's a, it's a gap that you have cut in the righteousness of God. It's a gate or a door that's not supposed to be there. It's not supposed to be open. But you've pulled the curtain aside and snuck out and done your own thing and you come back and you think you can just come right back into the righteousness of God and be safe and protected and have a nice home but you've made a hole in the wall and the enemy of God which is what the wall is there for because the fiery darts are real the enemies of God don't have to shoot over the wall they can walk right into your heart and torment you all they want any unrepentant sin any intentional sin that you are keeping secret and you're not fighting I don't mean every sin deed that you do, but any intentional, unrepented, hidden hypocrisy, anything you know you're doing wrong but you're not caring all that much about it, that's a hole in your wall. All sexual sin is an open door for Satan and his forces. All sexual sin. Proverbs 9.18 the first nine chapters of Proverbs are actually written, they're written by Solomon, but it's David speaking to Solomon about staying away from sinful women. It will ruin your life. Stay away from the prostitute. Stay away from fornication and adultery. And then Solomon didn't listen, and it ruined his life. It did exactly what his dad told him would happen. But at the very end of this nine-chapter speech of David to Solomon, the very last verse... David says to Solomon, the man who goes into the prostitute, the woman, actually she's not a prostitute, she's a married woman whose husband is off on a trip, and she's standing in her door, very scantily clad, and she's saying, come on in and lie on my bed. David tells Solomon the very last thing, he says, he does not know that the dead are there, 
that her guests are in the depths of hell. There is a gate of hell. There is an open door of hell in all sexual sin. The verse before this, she says to the man walking by, she says, bread eaten in secret is very tasty. Guys, that verse says, looking at pictures when nobody's knowing is lots of fun. It's a secret. Nobody will ever know. And you are ripping down the wall of righteousness that God put around you to protect you. And you are opening the door to hell into your heart. All sexual sin. The people who are doing it do not know that the dead are there. It's haunted. It is full of demonic presence. Occultic stuff. And I don't mean attending some satanic worship service uh, or a seance, which of course would be, but I don't think probably very many of you would go do that. I hope not. But playing around with horoscopes or horror movies, psychic stuff, tarot cards, party games like Ouija boards and magic cards and that kind of stuff, TV shows, movies, music, that kind of stuff that plays around with Hell and demons is not a game. You're opening a door for the forces of hell to penetrate your heart and your life. Drugs is another open door. I shouldn't even have to explain that. I mean, it's obvious that drugs are an open door from hell into people's lives. Only sin and destruction and evil and wickedness and horrible, horrible stuff results from psychotropic drugs. It isn't just chemical. It's an open door from hell. Any idol that we worship, and I know that none of us are going to the local idol temple in Island City and bowing down to Dagon or Baal, but Revelation 9.20, Jesus says that idolatry is the worship of demons, and I know again that none of you are going down to the local Baal temple and worshiping demons, but Colossians 3.7 says that covetousness is idolatry. So whatever you spend your time desiring strongly enough to have feelings about it, that is idolatry. Whether that's lust for a woman or you just spend all of your time wishing your life was different in some way, you're unthankful and unappreciative, you want a different spouse, you want a different house, you spend all your time poring over websites or catalogs wishing you had this or that, anything that you desire strongly enough to have feelings about it, you have given your heart to it and that is idolatry. Colossians 3, 7 says, covetousness is idolatry. And Jesus said in Revelation 9, 20, idolatry is worshiping demons. Another way I want to say it is continual dissatisfaction is idolatry. Continual unthankfulness is a demonic entry through the wall into your heart. Because you've given your heart to something else besides being satisfied in God. Which by definition means you're sneaking off from his presence through the curtain out looking for something else to make you happy. Getting a few nods. Uh-huh. Rebellion. 1 Samuel 5, 15, 23 says, Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. 
You have been given the authorities in your life, your parents, your boss, the president, the pastor, whoever the authorities in your life are, you've been given those as a covering and a defense. Rebelling against those is walking outside of the boundaries of God. You've cut a hole in the fence that God put around your life, and you said, I don't want to listen to mom, I don't honor my dad, I'm leaving this church or this job or whatever it is that God has given you to be in, and the covering of that authority is part of the covering of righteousness that God has given for your protection. And Samuel said in 1 Samuel 15, that's the same as witchcraft. I don't know how to explain that, but God said that it's so. It opens you up. You have left your shield and breastplate behind, and you are naked in front of the forces of hell if you leave your covering in rebellion. Fear is a major open door in a lot of hearts it may show up as a control freak or a manipulative person or a bully or somebody with terror or panic problems worrying is an open door of the devil into your heart like how is worry satanic well worry is faith in the devil Worry is being certain that this bad thing's going to happen and this bad thing's going to happen and this terrible thing might happen and you spend all of your faith energy believing in what the devil's going to accomplish in your life instead of what God is going to accomplish in your life. And so if you really believe it, which is what worry warts do, then you live like it's true. You make decisions against the will of God and it's an open door for the devil to walk in and ruin your life because of the stupid things you decide to do in fear. Making decisions, not, not the feeling of fear. The feeling of fear is not a sin. But thinking in fear and taking action in fear is sin. Taking action and making decisions in fear or anxiety instead of faith is a gap in your wall. And the number one major big hole in a lot of people's hearts is hatred, unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is a big gap in the righteousness of God in a lot of people's hearts. It may show up as anger, as intentional uh, conflict. It may show up as envy or gossip or competition, but it's, it's all unresolved unforgiveness with unforgiveness not only is it a gap in your wall and the defenses God has put around your life and the demons can just come and go at will through your mind and heart God says not only can the demons have access to you I will give you to them to torture you Matthew 18 this is the passage of the unforgiving servant. You know, the servant comes in and begs his master for forgiveness, and the master forgives all of his debt. And then he leaves the throne room, and he goes out and beats up a fellow servant over a tiny amount of money. And the master comes, calls him back in, and he says, You asked me to forgive you of billions of dollars, and you can't forgive him a few pennies. I'm putting all your debt back on you. And then at the end of the story, Jesus says, His master 
That's God. After he called him, said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged of me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. That's really serious business, folks. Unforgiveness is not just a a hole in the wall around your heart. It is not just free access for demons to raise hell in your life. God says, I will march you over to them and watch them chain you up because you cannot be with me if you do not forgive. That's really serious business. We have to forgive. It is not optional. All of the others, we open ourselves up to the devil. With this one, God says, I will take you there and let them torture you. You will forgive each other. (laughs) Our Father and King says, you will forgive everyone if you want to be forgiven. So, some of us, perhaps all, but maybe not, maybe some of you have done all of this, taken care of all this business, but some of you in the room right now, you have some open doors, and as I was talking, you just heard something, and you're realizing, yep, that applies to me. Uh, that's you, the light has dawned on you, oh, that's why I have anxiety attacks. That's why... I'm so depressed. That's why I'm so angry. That's why I can't sleep at night because of the thoughts that torment me. I see it. I have an open door. There's a hole in my righteousness. Come up and shut the door. When you shut the door, maybe it is you forgiving. Maybe it is you repenting of sin. Here, I'll be the big bad demon on the other side. Slam the door in my face. Maybe it's you closing the door on past occultic involvement or your enjoyment of horror movies or whatever it is. Slam the door. There, let's make sure that gets shut. You don't have to slam it, but if you want to, you can. You can do it as many times as you need to. Yeah, if you know you got two or three holes in your wall, shut that door. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Shut the gates that are not you. Close every door that is not you. Lord, we close doors of sin, we close doors of idolatry, we close doors of unforgiveness. Oh, you're going to hold it shut. (laughs) We close the door on fear, God. We don't want any holes in our defenses. Lord Jesus, as each one comes up to act out what you know is going on in each heart, Lord, we ask for forgiveness, we ask for purity, repair, 
We ask for holiness. Shut and lock every door, Lord, that is not supposed to be open. I'm not going to walk through that door. Amen. Thank you for responding to the Lord. You have uh, closed the doors of access that you created. Most all of us, again, most is the wrong word, all of us, have another type of hole in our wall. And it's holes that other people have knocked down. Wounds, where you have been cut open by someone else. It wasn't your own sin or your own involvement in the occult or sexual sin or rebellion or whatever, but somebody cut you open and you know you are open there. And it is a sore spot. It is a weak point in your mind, in your heart. It's a point that when somebody else touches it, you flare up because it hurts. And it also is a demonic entry point into your life because you didn't have a father or because you were sexually assaulted or because somebody abandoned you or somebody lied or betrayed or whatever else. Um, um, We just dealt with your own sin. Now I want to deal with other people's sin that has caused a breach in your wall. They knocked down in unrighteousness. They knocked down something in you. You don't have to raise your hand, but you, everybody knows what I'm talking about. So some of these holes in our defenses are our own fault, and we just dealt with that. You repented, and you shut the door, and you got it right. But what do you do with the ones that you didn't do? You didn't make it. You didn't ask for it. It happened, and you know there's a hole in your mind there's a hole in your heart there's a gap there and it's uh, i'm missing something i'm wounded i am i'm sore leviticus 21 says that no one may come into the presence of god with an open wound no priest was allowed to come into the tabernacle if he had an open wound the all of the levitical law is still true it's just fulfilled by jesus so it's still true that no one with an open wound may come into the presence of God. And some of you are going to get some real revelation here in the next two minutes. This is the reason that you love God and you want to worship and you want to pray, but you're not engaging Him. The reason is because you have an open wound. You have something you've tried to forgive and something that uh, you didn't cause it, you didn't do it, you don't have anything to repent for, but it's just, it's still there. The infection is real. The wound is real. It's bleeding the life out of you um, and it's keeping you out of the presence of God I want to take you to Revelation 21 21 this is the description of heaven it says the 12 gates were 12 pearls each individual gate was one pearl and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass this is the one verse where we get the phrases the pearly gates and the streets of gold should come from that verse But notice that the gates of heaven are not gates made out of pearl. Each gate is one giant pearl. The way to get into the presence of God is a healed wound. What's a a pearl is something that was meant to wound that oyster, but it wrapped it in something beautiful and valuable 
And that is the way into the presence of God. When you let God heal your wound, he doesn't ask you to pretend like it never happened. He's going to fill the hole with something valuable and beautiful. Because that's what the gate is. It fills the hole in the wall. And that is the entry point for God and other people. And you will find, not that what was done to you was beautiful and valuable, but that God will wrap it in something beautiful and valuable. And that will become that hole in your wall. God is going to plug it with a pearl. Something beautiful and valuable. And, but the pearl is Jesus. He is the pearl of great price. He's going to put Jesus in that hole. And it becomes another entry point for God and other people in your life. Do you not see that most of the places where we are the most broken but the most healed is where we can minister the best? Right? That's an entry point for other people through us into God. Is the wound that was caused but God made it beautiful. Nobody wants to come into your life through your open bleeding pussy wound that you're spewing complaints and negativity and trouble about. But the healed places, the testimony of faith and healing and restoration is absolutely gorgeous and beautiful and valuable. And when you tell your story and you speak your faith and you tell of the healing and restoration of God in your life, that's the pearl that all of us want to rush into God through. And the place where you were opened up by some sinner or Satan, God makes it beautiful and valuable, not the act, but the place. God makes it beautiful and valuable. So, Greg... You want to come on in with those? I can't buy you all real pearls. But you're all going to get a Walmart plastic pearl. (laughs) Just a stick in your pocket. Carry it around with your keys for a few days. I don't expect you to keep this. You know, it's a little trinket. But I want you to take this pearl with you. And I want it to remind you every time you look at it or feel it. That God is wrapping your wounds and making them beautiful and valuable. He is plugging the hole with Jesus and that that now should no longer be an unhealed wound that is keeping you from the presence of God it's no longer a gap in your defenses a place that you react to when touched but a place that God can have entry into you and other people can come into God through your pearl amen Amen. And while you're getting your pearl, for those of you who are intercessors, who are prayers, let me just draw this point out for you while they're passing this out. Wrapping that pearl takes a while. And so the word intercession means to stand between or to stand in the gap. There are some people that you know that you need to stand in the gap while their pearl is being created. Hello? The hole is still there. The pearl is being created, but they need some defenses on their wall in the meantime. That's what intercessory prayer is, standing in the gap. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you for closing doors this morning that should not be opened. Thank you for freedom from torment, from anxiety and fear, from guilt and depression. Lord, from tormenting temptation. Lord, we shut those doors 
We repent of our sin. We repent of leaving the shelter that you put around us. Thank you for sewing the curtain shut around us again. And Lord, I thank you for your pearls. Thank you that you take our wounds and you fill them with something beautiful and valuable. You fill them with the pearl of great price, which is Jesus Christ. You take the places where we were cut open and no longer are they infected and bleeding, but you heal them and you fill them with something beautiful and valuable, which is you, and you make it another gate into your presence, into the city of God. Lord, I bless each person here. Thank you for the freedom that they have now with the doors that are shut that should not have been ever been opened. And I thank you, Lord, for the beauty and the value of every heart, of every soul, every body and mind here. In Jesus' name, thank you that you have made us your pearls, your treasures. In Jesus' name, amen.